I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. We are going back to the high for season five of the, the Connor and Smith Show. Wow, that was impressive. It's my highest note. <laughs> okay. It's like a Q flat. No, it's just like a G. Um, a, a solid G. Mm-hmm. So lots is happening. Uh, Audrey's closing this evening. Oh, I've got to make a post. Do you mind if I type? No. Uh, uh, latest episode of Longshot is out right now. Go check it out. Uh, it was just announced that our uh, show, The Adventures of Mr. Toad, is going to Germany next year. So that's exciting. Did you write a post about it? Yeah. Did anybody write anything back? I think there's a lot of people liking um, so yeah, lots of happening, lots of stuff happening. Um, we had a wonderful catch up with our dear friend Jahana. So we're going to, um, have that for you when we come right back. I just want to give a personal shout out and thank you to our Patreon supporters, uh, and family. We love you, Patreon family. Thanks so much. I was thinking also, we should do a new Patreon thing where yeah. uh, we send out a message to our Patreon uh, family and they can decide to maybe call in on my cell phone mm. during one of the podcasts mm, mm-hmm. and just kind of have a little chit-chat with whoever it is that we we just send out an email that says, hey, we're talking to this person at this time. Who wants to talk? Okay. As like a little bonus. Mm. Or maybe, maybe it's not a bonus. I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, but thank you, Patreon family members, and uh, we'll be after this break. We will be right almost back. In 1985, Tyler was meeting Justin at their favorite arcade, Longshot. Just as Justin was about to confess his love for Tyler, the world changed. <laughs> Blending elements of 1980s pop culture and LGBTQIA fiction, we journey through this incredible experience that brings them closer together as they fight against a world trying to keep them apart. Listen to Longshot on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? Yes. Welcome, Johanna. Hi. <laughs> I'm sitting here with my husband and co-host, Matt Connor. Monica, Monica, dance the Oh, world. my goodness. Hey, Matt Connor. What's going on? <laughs> Don't make me ruin you. <laughs> <laughs> we are also joined by our producer, Ryan Dean Halbrook. Hi, Johanna. Hi, how are you? I'm well, and yourself? I'm doing well, thank you. Wonderful. Um, Johanna, let's just start with, where are you originally from? Are you, are you from the Virginia area? I am. I'm from Alexandria, Virginia. Um, I went to school in Fairfax County. I grew I, up in Northern Virginia. I, for some reason, think I remember that was brought up at some point that you were kind of like local. Yes, I'm very local. Were, yes. did, did you study... Uh, voice before getting to SU? I did. So I studied, I, it's kind of an interesting story. So I come from a family that lessons was not an option for our family just because we couldn't afford it. And so um, I did a talent show 
And this voice teacher saw me and was like, oh girl, you need lessons. And I was like, all right, give me lessons. <laughs> and she got me ready for auditions for college. And I was like, I don't know if that's what I wanna do. And then my counselor was like, come on, you're gonna do it. And I was like, okay. And so I went to Shenandoah, auditioned and I got in and that was the only school I auditioned for. Wow. And did you, who was your voice teacher there? Uh, at Shenandoah, I started out with Donna Goldstrand. I was in her studio until um, my junior year. And then my senior year, I studied with Jackson Sheets. Come on, Jackson. Yes, and I stayed with him, and I stayed at Shenandoah to continue to study with him because she would say, oh, no, high notes are not an option right now. And I was like, but I would like to have some, please. <laughs> so right. Jackson was like, we can do that. And so I studied with him for three years. So I studied with both of them for three years. Now, Donna has just recently passed, right? Yes, she has. And Jackson? Jackson passed in 2015. 2015. You know, I studied with Jackson. Yes. Did you go to the funeral? I didn't. I didn't. Do, I don't think I even knew. I don't, I don't know. You know how it is when you're doing shows. You kind of like live a different Everything. life. And that's the only reason I know because I was doing Dialogue of the Carmelites at the time with Washington Opera. And he passed and I had enough time to go up there for like the visitation. Not even because there was no body, but for like the wake Right. And then I was back in rehearsals the next day, so I couldn't go to the funeral. Great. Well, I have to say, um, you know, I, just speaking about the voice in general, I, I felt I, it, it was very challenging for me being in Jackson's studio because I felt like he really wanted me to sort of be uh, a legit classical singer. Right. And I think mm -hmm. my voice just, but my physical makeup maybe just wasn't, I was already 20, like five at the time. So like, I just felt like I, I was kind of maybe, maybe he wasn't the right person for my voice because I'm kind of like a, I don't know, a funny guy. My voice is raspy um, anyway, but I certainly did an, uh, adore him. I, I used his, because his was the first voice room walking down that hall. Yes. yes I used it was. his room as my dressing room when I was King Herod. Oh. Yeah, he gave it to me. So I would so I guess I could feel important. Well, you were important. Well, let's jump right me? into the um the medium. Do you still have your script? Or your I do. Libretto that's signed by Manati? I do. I still have my score. I do too. I have it it's upstairs though. It's so freaky that we got it signed. It is, it's amazing, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Wow. Yes, I still have my medium score. Um, I don't think, I think I actually got sick when you guys went to the Kennedy Center and Edie got a sign for me because um, I had a, a bout of illness where I was like, a lot of things got postponed for me after that because I got so sick. So I feel like I got, I was, I did not go to the Kennedy Center with you guys to see whatever Minotti show it was at the time. And I I don't know if it was on the console or was it the medium? What did you guys see at the Kennedy Center? You know, I don't think we went and saw anything. Oh, so it was just getting the autograph. I think she went to the Kennedy Center and did it herself. <laughs> well, that makes so much more sense. Cause I was like, I don't remember, like, I ain't meet that man. <laughs> so, but, he, but I do have his autograph. 
what if there was a recording of the show that we could get? I guess there's one in the archives. There is one in the archives. Oh, I would be scared to hear it now. Why? That's so different. Just because my voice is a lot different than it was, you know. I think I was like 20, 21 when that show happened. Got it. Who, who was in the cast? We had Tay Gap. We had Tay Gap. We had um, Amy. Amy. Uh, Maddox. Kristen, Amy Maddox. Um, the Monica. Monica was, um, she was a graduate student, right? Yes, and I cannot remember her name. I can't either, but she was fantastic. Uh, she was great. <laughs> yeah. Um, there, there were so many things I liked about that show. Uh, one being the cast. I thought it was very well cast. And Edric, like kind of like hounded me, like, you're going to do this project. And I thought, I'm not going to be in no opera. But you did so beautifully. But then I remember the pro you know, getting to know the piece. And I was like, ooh, this is right down my alley. It's kind of cool. I remember... Um, I remember when I first got cast in that role, I was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? Like, she's an old woman. Yeah. And weird things started happening to me around campus. And I was like, oh, like, am I kind of manifesting this? Like, I remember for one, like the toilet in our bathroom just kept flushing continuously. Like nobody's in the bathroom, but it just kept flushing. And I was like, what is this about? Oh and my I would gosh. have weird dreams. And I was like, I'm just going to, you know, I'm a refocus, recenter. Um, but I mean, in college, we all have weird dreams, you know, about showing up to exams and stuff like that. So, but that was a very intense opera for me. Because um, Madame Flora is very, she's intense, I guess is the best way to say it. She's um, the I character. Remember, I remember exactly hearing you in my head singing, Toby, Toby, what are you doing, Toby? Yes. I, I don't even I, remember that part. You don't remember that? I mean, I don't remember all of the opera. I remember, like, the arias. Yeah. But maybe I don't remember the, maybe like, because all I was, of the, I would have to restudy it, because it's been, like, 20-something years. I mean, you know, well, it's been, been a minute. Lot. It's been a minute. I just remember, I maybe it's because you were probably singing to me, and I had to react, and because maybe yes. I always just listening and I couldn't sing. Maybe that made it more heightened for me. And then I remember you singing, Toby, Toby, what are you doing, Toby? Something like yes. that. Yes. That's, yes. And and do you remember me coming at you with those big red nails? Yes! <laughs> oh my gosh. I Yes, Ryan. Is the medium uh, an opera that's done often? <laughs> I don't really know. You would probably know more of the opera world, Johanna. Is the medium done often? It's not done often. And I think it's because it's such a short work. So when it's done, it's done in conjunction with another short work, like Johnny Skeechy, or um, I think even the council may be done with it. Um, but it's not like, I think one of his most performed operas is probably A Mall and a Night Visitor. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's the medium and th and that's because it's like people do it for Christmas. Right. I do remember them having to somehow rig up the table so it would shake during the seance. I remember that, yes. Maybe with like some sort of cord or cord, something. Yeah, I remember that. Was I on the I wasn't on the uh, crew? crew? You could have been. You were very talented. You could have been on the crew. 
I think it was people backstage like pulling strings yeah, and um, there was lots of stuff that was happening um, with that fantastic crew that, you know, some of the stuff I have no idea what was happening. I was trying to remember my lines, you know, <laughs> make sure I was there on time. What other operas were you? Oh, wait, wait, wait. First of all, were you a part of our Big River? No, I was not. Were you a part of the Europe trip that I was on? What year did you go to Europe? 95? Yes, I was there. Okay, wait, there's a piece of music I was going to ask you. We just talked about it. And I was like, how do I know this song? Was it Ride on King Jesus? No, it was just done for the coronation. It was uh, Zadok the Priest. Is it by Monteverdi? Maybe. I'm uh, not sure. It's about Zadok the Priest, who like was one of the first, I don't know, important people. I don't know. Anyway, so, remember- we to, so we went to Europe together, and that's how we were on the Grammy award-winning Benjamin Britten's War Requiem. War Requiem! Yes, we were. I don't we remember were. any of that. Now, did you guys get a it was at the Kennedy Center. That was at the Kennedy Center. We sounded good. We did sound good. <laughs> do you I, have the CD of that? Uh, you know, I think I do somewhere. And do you have your Grammy yet? No, I keep waiting. Every time I go into the computer, it's I've missed the window. Well, you'd better go soon because you know it closes in May. And then that's it? And then it, you have to wait until it opens again. Okay, so maybe I'll check it out tonight. Yeah, check that out. Get your Grammy! I still have your, I still have your uh, little messenger of how to do it. Oh, good. Yes. Somebody just asked me about that recently, and I was like, here it is. I had to copy it from somewhere myself. I was like, this is how you do it. Why have you not been saying Grammy Award winner Matt Connor? Well, <laughs> it was, you know. Was you a- definitely should. So wait a second. You could get a Grammy Award in this house, and you have not? You heard, yeah. You've heard of the EGOT Award, whether people get four of them? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the good. You're just the guy. <laughs> Me and Johanna are the guys. We're the guys. We're the guys, definitely. Um, I remember loving moments of that war requiem that felt like it was. Uh, I, I remember Mr. Schaefer talking about it sounding like, you know, horses. I remember uh, the Libere Me. Is it Libere? Yes. Yeah. I remember that section being so stirring in my soul. I remember it being hard. <laughs> yeah, so, it was. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. Benjamin Britten is probably one of the hardest composers. Really? I think so. You don't think so? I don't have any reference because I listen to Sondheim. Okay. And is the so, one uh, World War II? Um, I don't know. I have the CD. Let me look at it. I, I, believe, says, I believe it was. What, composed in like 1961, right? So I guess it would have been like a World War II thing. Anyway, sorry. That's okay. I know that we did ours in um, 1995. Yes. At the Kennedy Center. Yes. That's when ours was performed. What was that like the first time going to the Kennedy Center and, and performing 
if that was your first time? For me? Yeah. Um, I don't think 1995 was my first time. Um, you were old hat by that point. Not really. I had, um, I needed, I needed to pay for my Europe tour, my European tour. And so I was hired to sing with the Washington Choral Arts Society at some point at the Kennedy Center. And then I remember we were in the concert hall and Mr. Schaefer had me start Silent Night from the second tier of the concert hall. And then had the chorus come in with me. And I was, it was a paid gig for me, which I needed because I didn't have any money to go to Europe. And so he paid me for it. It was a paid gig. And he gave me, I had a, a different gig with him. I did a Beethoven's Ninth with them um, to help pay for my second tour. Wow, that is really cool. I would have loved to hear that from the second tier starting Silent Night. That, that's really cool. It was a cool experience. It was really cool to sing in that hall um, because I hadn't sang at the Kennedy. I'd sang at Carnegie Hall before in high school, but I had never sang at the Kennedy Center, which is crazy because I'm from Northern Virginia. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like, oh, this is a real place. That's what it felt like. So. I feel like the Kennedy Center is very intimidating, but at the same time, very familiar. Because every time I perform there, you kind of, you know, arrive there like, oh my gosh, it's this huge, beautiful, like, you know, structure. And it's it's just so many people have gone through it. But then, because it is so beautifully crafted, when you get on stage, you do feel something familiar because it's very... I don't know. It's just a, it's just a, another theater, and you kind of understand what that looks like and feels like. It is, and I feel like the Kennedy Center is not an overwhelming house. Like you don't look out and feel like, oh my god, I'm up here by myself ever. I feel like it's it's a warmer house just because of like the wood tones and things like that that are in that in all of those. And I've only done the concert hall, the opera house, and the terrace theater. Yeah. Or the Eisenhower Theater, the one upstairs. Um, and they all seem very warm to me. Of course, backstage is just, you know, like white and stark. But um, on stage seems warm as opposed to some other houses. It's interesting that like the 60s of it all that you feel in the like design and everything when you're yes. in that building. And it feels so like retro hip. Um in other ways that like it's aged very well into itself. Um, I agree. The, the, I will say that is true of the backstages there. I, I've performed at almost, I think every hall in the Kennedy Center. And where's your Grammy? Where's my Grammy, exactly. <laughs> and the white stark hospital-like nature of the backstage is very interesting. It's very of the time it was made. Oh my god! It reminds me of like my my school growing up, like my elementary school. It was like very utilitarian. Yeah, the backstage. I I work at the Kennedy Center, so the bowels. You know, I'm constantly walking through them, and I always feel like I'm caught in time somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, most definitely. And when they redid the Opera House, and they, which was like in I guess the early 2000s. Yep, they changed some. Like they changed some of that especially for the opera dressing rooms, they changed just a little bit, but I mean, it was just like the lights. That's all they changed. And we could get internet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they didn't change much more than that. I did an opera there with Patti Lapone. What did you do? Regina. 
Okay. It's the second act to the medium. <laughs> Regina, <laughs> Regina, I think was Mark Blitzstein, Blitzstein, um, and she played. It, it's that. It's based off of the Little Foxes, um, mm-hmm. and she played the Southern Grand Dame, and they lowered all the keys for her. Like does that ever happen? Does that ever happen in operas commonly? Like if you bring a star in, usually is the star picked for the role or would they adapt a score? That's a really interesting question. So um, the past two years I've been doing operas with living composers. And so um, I know that for the opera that I just finished, um, Champion with uh, Terrence Blanchard as the composer, that he ch- he had to change the key of something because they wanted to cast a specific singer. Like they wanted this singer, but the role was written for a mezzo and she was a soprano. Ah. And she talks about it. She She has like a whole post where she talks about how she was like, hey, this is just too low for me. Um, is there any way we can show off some of my higher notes so that the audience can hear me better? Because we're in the Met. Like it's, it's a humongous house and your voice gets lost very easily if you're not in the meat of it. And so she asked him and he rewrote it on the spot in the rehearsal room while they were rehearsing and staging. And so he wrote it up like, I want to say it was like a fifth, but when we all first heard it as the ladies who who were on stage, it was the very first time we heard it was on stage. We didn't hear it in rehearsal. We didn't hear it anywhere. So we were all like, whoa. What, ha- what happened? And he took it up because it was more comfortable for her because she's a soprano and she, they wanted her in that role because she was the iconic mother in his other opera, Fire Shut Up In My Bones, where it was written for a soprano. It was actually written for like a lower soprano, but he had changed some things and tweaked it in that for her as well. So she had two roles that were kind of customized for her. Um, and then at the Kennedy Center, uh, Philip Glass had done uh, Appomattox, the opera Appomattox, and there were some things that had to be changed because of uh, racial language and uh, just because of the time period that it took place. And so some of the things, there were a lot of people that were against saying some of the words that were in the libretto, and he changed it. He changed it so that it wasn't, the chorus wasn't singing it, but he made it so that it was like a solo role for one of the young artists. So. I've seen it happen in opera. I've seen, I haven't seen keys change um, in like Mozart or like the Queen of the Night hasn't been changed, but like in in modern opera where things are still being tweaked and written and we have living composers, I have seen where um, things have been adjusted so that the singer can be highlighted and know that it's about both the singer and the music and not just about what the orchestra is doing. Uh, When you say modern opera, is that uh, here locally with uh, like the Washington, um, the Washington Opera? So I know the Washington Opera has their Washington Opera Initiative, Opera Initiative Program, New Opera Initiative. And they do three short operas every year. I believe it happens in, I want to say January. So they rehearse and three composers with their librettists are able to 
have singers from the Young Artist Program, the Capricorn Artist Program at Washington Opera, perform their opera, and they perform it in the the terrace theater upstairs. Oh, that's cool. Have you ever heard of the Urban Arias group? No, I haven't. There's a group that we are aware of called Urban Arias. They were based in Roslyn, but uh, they kind of do the same thing where everything is sort of like a contemporary, contemporary feel, contempor- not contemporary stories, but sometimes sort of a timely subject matter. Right. So that, which makes sense, because I feel like opera goers are young opera goers. I'm not going to say opera goers because there are so many people against modern opera. Um, but I think that young opera goers are looking for stuff they can relate to, but they don't want to go. Right, right. Um, what were some of your favorite roles and and operas that you did in at SU? So at Shannon, I did um, Juno and Semele, which I thought was <laughs> fun. I mean, I was a gun-toting broad. I loved it. Um, I wore jeans and a leather coat and I had a machine gun because it was the vision <laughs> of the, the director. I don't think it's done like that everywhere, but I loved that because it was like, hey, I can, you know, I can be badass. Oh, can I say Ed? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I can be badass. But um, I loved, I loved, I loved Baba from the medium because it took so much of me to figure out, like it took me as a young artist to figure out, okay, how am I going to do this? I need to learn my music. We all know that has to happen. Music has to be learned. But like, how am I going to portray this character? How am I going to make people feel that this is Baba and not Johanna? And so that was, for me, the challenge of that was amazing. And I've taken that challenge with me to every, like every role after that, which, I mean, I've been in the ensemble a lot, but that was, that was a pivotal moment for me in my career to be like, you, you've got this, like you can figure out a character. You can, you can figure out how to put her on stage. You can figure out how to make people believe who your character is and that she's not you. I, I, I thought you were, you had a beautiful transformation. I did not see Johanna on that stage one minute. Oh, you're so sweet. I Thank thought, you. do you remember the night I, I pulled my, I, my arm came out of my socket its socket yes i threw myself so hard on the ground by myself making it look like i was throwing you know being pushed or whatever that i i got my arm went completely out of its socket are you like an old 80s cop now like sometimes it goes out and you have to like pop it back it's it's never been popped back since it's still out that happened like during the winter time it hurts worse like you know the storm is coming yeah no i I actually don't have any problems with it that's good um when you left su did you know kind of what you wanted to do or where you you wanted to go or did you just return back to northern virginia (laughs) that's so funny um what did you do when you left su I, I moved to New York twice to be on Broadway. Okay. Tell me what happened. Well, I'm calling you right now from Arlington. And um, <laughs> I'm, but both times I kind of got work in the dinner theaters here. And I just loved having the money. So I just stayed. Well, that makes sense. I mean, it really is where the money is, right? And I just knew that I was probably not going to be in, you know, Cats. And that's not a great show anyway, so we're good. 
it's, it's not it's my favorite Broadway show. It's ironic he's saying it because he was in Cats at a dinner theater. So why are you saying that? Well, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, I you know I think it's tricky. One of the things that SU did not prepare me for or have a conversation about was what was really out there. I didn't I didn't know that there was what was really out there beyond Shenandoah, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of at that time you could look in the paper and look at auditions and there was other ways to do stuff. Of course, those ways are gone now. Um, right. But I got so much opportunity here in Washington that I just never really left after I started working. And you're doing fabulous in Washington. Yeah, I mean, Stephen have definitely made Washington our, our home and it's a, it's a great theater town. It is. And I would say for me, when I left Shenandoah, I wanted to go be an opera star somewhere, but that's not what happened. So I think what Shenandoah did not prepare me for was how to be broke. And so I was broke. So I moved, I worked at, I was a manager at Master Tuxedo in Apple Blossom Mall in Winchester. And then I left that job. To, I mean, and this was like after I graduated with my master's and because I was like, oh, I'll audition, I'm get my big break. I'm gonna do this. And you're right. Like there was like not as much information as can be found now. Like I couldn't look up agencies and when they were doing auditions and when they were hearing people, you can look up agents, but I stayed there. And then I went to um, Martinsburg and worked in the AC Delco factory at night. So I worked the graveyard shift from like, I don't know, it was like 12 o'clock to one o'clock in the afternoon. Wow. It was ridiculous. And they flew me to Detroit. It was like, we want you to test because you're smart. And I was like, that's great, but this is not what I wanted to. It's not what I went to school for. I don't want to do the shit. But I went anyway. I, they flew me to Detroit. I took the test. I passed the test. I decided the boyfriend that I was with at the time was very abusive. So I decided I was going to move back home. I had to get out of that. And so I came back home to live in Northern Virginia with my mom and, and, and my stepdad at the time. And I got offered a job in Baltimore to work in a factory all day, the AC Delco factory. And I turned it down because I was like, there's no way I should be in the dark all day, every day, and not saying it. This is, that's not what I went to school for. So when I told my mom, that's not what I went to school for, she was like, okay, well, you know, figure out your next move. And I was like, okay. So I worked tuxedos a little while longer. And then I worked at Bailey Banks and Biddles, which, you know, is like this high-end jewelry store that's like part of the Zales family. I worked at Landmark Mall doing that, which is like, Wonder Woman's castle now because nobody works there. Um, <laughs> right? Nobody works at that mall. It's like, that's where Wonder Woman is filmed. That, that's why we opened it and kept it there. Right. Um, and then I got pregnant in 2000. And I was like, there is no way I can be on the road with a baby. There's absolutely no way. And there was absolutely a way, but I couldn't figure out what it was at that time. So I decided I'm going to be a teacher. So I taught elementary school for 20 years. I started out in PG County. I was in PG County when 9-11 happened and I couldn't get to my baby fast enough. So I moved to Fairfax County to teach where she was like 10 minutes away from me. Um, so I came to Fairfax County. I taught for my 20 years altogether and I auditioned for the Met for their 2019 production of Forgy and Best. And 
they called me the next day and was like, hey, we want you to do Porgy and Best. And I was like, oh my God, you're lying. And they were like, no, come, come on, you're going to be in the ensemble. And which was amazing because, you know, Porgy and Best hadn't been done at the Met since the 80s. And so it was a really big deal that this opera with all of these people of color was coming back into this opera house, which is one of the number one opera houses in America, in the States. And so I accepted. I accepted the contract at the Met, but I didn't figure out how I was going to not be teaching and be in New York at the same time. So I had to ask my principal for permission. Can I leave? And she kept saying, no, we can't give you release. And I was like, but I'm leaving. Like, so if you don't release me, I'll just quit. Like I resign, whatever. So eventually she released me. I went to New York. I did the Porgy and Bess. They, I came back, I taught, I had a student teacher, blah, blah, blah. And then they added performances to Porgy and Bess. So I had to ask for more time off. And so my time off going to the Met was I drive up there. I do the performance, I come home, I get home around 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, and then I'd be up and gone to work by eight o'clock. Wow. Because I wanted a job, like I needed the income. But now that I look back at it, I was really just like killing myself for no reason. Yeah. So that's kind of where I went after Shenandoah. Well, that's- And I went to Washington Opera. I was at Washington for that 20 years that I was teaching. I was singing with Washington Opera. That's an amazing journey. It's something. <laughs> well, it you know, we, you, we all kind of have like little pockets where our creativity goes into <clears throat> different areas and we're not necessarily always focused like a laser on stuff, but that's so amazing. Didn't I see you on the television for the Kennedy Center Honors? Yes, yes. I was in the Kennedy Center Honors. It was, first of all, it was, such an honor to be in the Kennedy Center Honors um, because what happened was the Caffrey's Young Artists, so the Washington Opera Young Artists, they usually like do things with the Kennedy Center Honors, but their mezzo was out of town and they had no mezzos. So they hired two of us to be mezzos and I was one of the ones hired because I had daytime availability because I was no longer teaching in the classroom. Now, was that with Diaz? Yes. Justine. Justino. Yes. Justino Diaz. Justino, yes. Justino Diaz, who was the um, Toreador. So he was like the main Toreador when um, those are like, I want to say probably 30 years ago. And so. Um, yes, Carla choreographed it. Yes. Yes. It was. Because we've worked with Carla before. Yes, Karma is awesome. So you want to hear a funny story? Yes. We were doing Kiss of the Spider Woman at Signature Theater with Justino's daughter, Natasia. Who sang at the tribute. Yes. So I come out after the show, you know, freshen up my hair and my lip gloss, and I'm all ready <laughs> after the show. And the show's out, and I go, go up to the, into the lobby, and there is her father, Justino. And he introduces himself. He's like, hello, wonderful show. I'm Natasha's father. And I said, oh, great. And we're chatting, chatting. And I'm trying to be like super nice to like Natasha's dad. Because I'm thinking right. he's like just the dad. And I'm like, yeah. so is this your first time to Washington? <laughs> and he says, he um, 
Actually, I inaugurated the Kennedy Center in 1970, the year of Natasha's birth. And I was like, uh, oh my God. So then I backed <laughs> up. I, I backed up in my head a little thinking, oh, you inaugurated the Kennedy Center, which means you did something pretty big that I don't even know what we're even talking about now. Um, and then, of course, I, uh, you know, I've met him several times since then. But I thought, oh God, Matt, going up to Natasha's father and saying, have you ever been to Washington? Well, how are you supposed to know who he was? Yeah, it was just funny. Um, but then, of course, when she told us that he was going to get the Kennedy Center honor way before it was announced because we couldn't see anything, I was like, oh, right. my God, that's amazing. And then we watched it, and there you were in the back. Yes, with my big old flower and my curly hair. It was fun. What was that was piece so from? Fun. It was from Carmen. Carmen. Yep, that's right. Yes, we did the Toreador song. Yep, that was, it was fun to watch. It was fun to see Denise be able to do her thing as Carmen. Um, and then, of course, to see Grace Bumbry speak about him um, at that event. And she just passed. She did. She just passed. I mean, Grace Bumbry and Tina Turner in the same month. That should be like sacrilege. But I Oh, God, a moment for both. I, I, yes. Uh, that, that one's too fresh, the Tina. Uh, um, the Karma Camp. The only other opera that I did, I always love to talk about this with opera people because nobody else, you know, knows what I'm talking about. The only other opera I got to do, Karma also choreographed, and that was Street Scene at Wolf Trap Opera. By? Oh! Vile. Vile. Yeah. Easy stuff. <laughs> so hey. much fun. Actually, and Eugene Galvin was in the ensemble of that show with me. Look at Okay, because he's a professor at Shenandoah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was crazy. The only reason I got hired for that gig, I mean, I, I think I lucked out with the Regina thing because they kind of needed people who could sing opera but also dance. Um, right. And then that's not me. Street scene. There's a couple that um, are like a music theater couple in the middle of this opera who sing Moonface and Starry-Eyed and do like an eight-minute dance number. Um, so that was my other opera. And they did that. I mean, the set, the sets in operas are just freaking incredible. Um, mm -hmm. Recreating like a New York City neighborhood, like tenements and street. And God, it was beautiful. I It's it's still, I can still hear all the sopranos singing in it awful, the heat in my head. And it's gorgeous. Um, but Karma did that as well. And Karma, I think, actually was a performer in that uh, Kennedy Center Honors thing, too, wasn't she? She came, She was in the ensemble with us. Yeah. Yes. But she didn't I do remember much. seeing her uh, Facebook posts in costume. Um, yes. And, and loving that. I did a show, my first show, professional show in the DC area was at Signature Theater and she was in it as a performer. Um, it was oh. like one of her last times she performed like in the run of a show. She was uh, Mazeppa in Gypsy. And so I played the trumpet. So she had to play the trumpet well enough-ish 
but not really well. So I, since I played, I kind of coached her. Um, So anyway, that's all I know about opera. Um, (laughs) That's all I know about opera. There we go. Um, so what is your what does your life look like currently? Do you have any upcoming things you're going to be working on? I do. So my life is chaotic currently, and I love it because I don't have to answer to anybody, and that makes me really happy. So um, I have the Brahms Requiem coming up. I start rehearsals for that next week, and it's at Carnegie Hall with the Metropolitan Opera. Okay. And and then in September. I start rehearsals for their perform. They're they're redoing their Verdi Requiem that they did for 9/11 last year. So I'm doing that. I'm doing their production of Malcolm X. Um, that opens in September, and then I go to Chicago to rehearse for their production of Champion and Aida. Wow! And then I'm I'm home for Christmas. And then I go back to Chicago in January to continue their Aida and Champion. And that's what my schedule looks like right now. That's amazing. So I do their Aida and Champion. I'm at the Met doing um, Fire Shuff in My Bones in the spring as well. So I'm back and forth from Chicago to New York. Wow. And then I come home after Chicago's over. I come home and I do Turandot with Washington Opera. This is the thing that I was going to mention, but this now I, I really will mention. The thing that when I was working, especially at Wolf Trap uh, Opera, the, the opera singers that uh, had their, their gigs like years in advance lined up. Yes. I mean, it, it just boggled my mind because theater is so much more of a like gig economy that, I mean, they're both gig economies, but so so much shorter time now that that was the case back then when i first came Mm -hmm. to washington now i think i'm seeing music theater performers being booked up at least for their next year um and because because there's so many theaters so then all the theaters move their auditions earlier and earlier um yes cure people and so now the, the the tables are turning a little bit with the theater world. It's becoming a little more like the opera world in, in gigging and booking. But um, it's just so interesting to me that you have all of that lined up and like that's and are able to maintain a few little healthy breaks in there, too, for sanity. Yes. <laughs> um, Those are important. Yes, it's it's good you're home for Christmas. So where mm-hmm. where again is home? So I live in Woodbridge, Virginia. Okay. So I'm in Northern Virginia. I live in Northern Virginia. Okay. Well, you you must look us up this Christmas when you're home. I will have to. Yes. That, that oh. would be fun to see you around Christmas time. Oh yes, I will definitely be there with my little Maddie. I got you. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Are you, um, we're mindful of your time and I just want to kind of wrap with a few silly questions. Okay. Um, when, when you're not uh, working on music or momming or anything else, what, is there any kind of streaming uh, show or something that you really love to kind of get into to like, you know, get away That's from yourself? Yeah, so um, of course I've watched all three seasons of Bridgerton because who has not? Um, and then 
I've gotten into the marvelous Miss Maisel. Yeah, I love it. Recently, but I usually don't want. I don't usually have time to watch TV because I'm either studying music or I'm teaching. I teach privately. I have students that I teach virtually, so I can teach them no matter where I'm at. Um, so that's and, or I read. But I have to tell you, lately TikTok has been sucking my life away. Yes, 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 yes. TikTok is a time suck. <laughs> Yes, it is. I get into it. And I'm like, oh my god, I've been on here for an hour. I need to get up and do chores. Our dogs have a TikTok page. Oh, you have to share with me. What is it, you honey? Have to share. It's uh, Edgar Allan Pug. Uh, no, I think it's Eddie and Byron. Eddie and Byron. Eddie it's just and Byron. It's just our dog. Eddie and Byron. It's our two pugs. One is black. One is fawn. They are half brothers. They are adorable. Oh my so then you need uh, to just send me the link. Yeah. Wait, it's it's Ed, it's called his name it's Edgar Allan Pug, but it's at Eddie N. Byron. Okay, I'll try. I'll send it to you, Johanna. Send it to me. Yes. Um, yes, TikTok is just a time suck, but fascinating. <laughs> it really is fascinating. There's like recipes, but I get sucked into like the stories where you gotta look at like part two, part three, uh-huh, part four. Yeah. Part... Yeah. So I'm 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 trying to wean myself off of that before I go into the next season. Oh my gosh, it's it's um, it's always it, for me for like my ADHD part, it's like the perfect entertainment. Yes, bite-sized chunks, you know. Exactly, short, and you're like, oh, okay, got it, done. Yeah, yeah, and and you can tell in the first like ten seconds whether you're gonna swipe or not, you know. Exactly. Yes, like I swipe through all the ads. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, understand. I, I love that. And I know I've actually tried to wean myself off of it a lot more recently too, just because I, I I'll look up and it's been an hour and I'm like, how did this happen? And you what know? did I do with my day? Yeah. Yeah. Like You're my not husband gets home. I'm like, I practiced and I taught today, but I don't think I did anything else. Wait, wait. You're not Matt gonna, has breaking news you here. I can't believe what I just finished while we were talking. What did you just finish? I am getting, I'm filling out the credit card information. I'm getting my Grammy. Yes! Yes! That's awesome! And this is the podcast that made it happen. Thank you, Jehanna. (laughs) And so is that going to go with your Helen Hayes Awards? Yes. Yes. Beside it. Yes. I love it. Yes. That's so exciting though, isn't it? It is. And remember, it's just a certificate. It's not the little, you know, like, gramophone. Yes, yes, yes. But it's gold embossed, and it has your name on it. Yes. We'll have to find a prominent place for that in the house, Maddie. That is so exciting. The front door. The front door, yes. (laughs) As you enter the front door. That's right. My fees just went up. Yes. I love it. You're a Grammy winner. Yep. You are a Grammy winner. Own that shit. Own it. That's right. I don't know why it's taking you this long. Because I forget all the wonderful things that's happened to me. There's been so many. There's been so many. That's because you're so fabulous. It's hard being that great, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what, friend? It's so great to hear your voice and reminisce about things that we did together and some things that maybe we didn't do together. But, um... Best of luck, and it's so wonderful to hear your voice. And we love you, and best of 
Well, I said that three times now. It's okay. <laughs> That's because you wish me the best of luck. And so in my little interim times home, we have to get together at some point. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We are, we literally live right off of 395, like literally where it says King Street. We are right there in Fairlington. I go down to the Are you serious? The Alamo Woodbridge all the time. What's that, right? Yes, the Alamo Woodbridge is awesome. I've never been there, but my kids have, and they love it. Yeah, it's a good time. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jahana, for talking to us and for going later than we thought and all of that stuff. And <laughs> You're so welcome. I will send you the TikTok page and we must uh, connect this Christmas. Yes. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. Oh, my God. It was our pleasure. <laughs> love Have you. a great day. I love you too, my daughter. Oh, my God. Bye. Bye. Bye, y'all. Thanks so much, Jahana, for joining us for that catch-up. That was so great. Thank you for reminding me to get my Grammy certificate. Yes, I'm going to join the family. That's right. It's going to come. It's going to be hanging above my piano and says, I need a $5 tip on today's lesson. It means your prices just went up, right? Yeah. Um, so thank you for joining us. Great catch-up. Uh, if you want to learn more about us, please visit www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an E-R. You can find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Patreon. Again, under Connor and Smith. Connor with an E-R. Please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. really helps us out a lot. Share where you share things. Post it where you post things. There is a Discord board. You can go into the podcast notes and get the link and say hello to your fellow alum. And it's like social media, but not like mainstream social media. So it's a little more like, you know, private. Um, there is a Patreon, as I have mentioned. Please think about supporting us if you can. Your support helps us produce um, our works and things like that. Uh, the last Find Your Light uh, concert, uh, the Patreon family basically helped to fund uh, one of the musicians. So that, that's uh, where we're kind of practically using that support. And we thank you for those of you who do, and please consider supporting today. Other than that, um, it's summer, y'all. It's June, and somehow that happened. Six months passed. And here we are. Yep, we're almost halfway to Christmas. The pool just opened. The pool just opened. It's almost the longest day of the year. Don't get me started. And then it starts going, getting shorter, right? Yep. Immediately. All right. Well, until next week, we will see you soon. Bye. Bye.